Welcome to First Fuel, a fortnightly podcast bringing you perspectives on the role of energy efficiency, energy management and demand response in the energy transition taking place in Australia and around the world. I'm Luke Menzel, CEO of the Energy Efficiency Council. This week I'm joined by Alison Rowe, who is wrapping up her tenure as CEO at Australian Energy Foundation after big five years. Welcome, Alison. I know it must be a little bittersweet saying goodbye to AEF. Uh, when is your last day and how does it feel? Uh, yeah, thanks, Luke. And wonderful to be here. Uh, my last day is on Friday. So it's um, it's an imminent countdown now and it's um, it's feeling a bit like a breakup. It's, <laughs> um, it's um, been such a personal investment and connection to purpose that I've had at the Australian Energy Foundation mm. over this time. So it does feel like a little bit of a breakup and I think I'm going to go through those stages of grief, of mourning, not being part of AEF because it's been such a wonderful highlight of my career today. Well, having um, having been lucky enough to, to join you on one or two of the the, uh, the retreats that you run with the team, um, it's clearly a family, like there's a real family vibe, both within the core AEF team and obviously in the community that's built around it over the over the years and uh, I suppose you can um, seek counsel and guidance uh, from uh, from some of the previous CEOs on how they've, they've managed that uh, breakup as you call it um, as they've moved on to, to different roles and I suppose the other thing that strikes me is that as we'll cover over the course of, of, uh, of this episode um, uh, you haven't exactly been a caretaker CEO you've um, you've invested a lot of time and energy and thought into the future of the AF and obviously I can imagine you'll be uh, watching its progress with great interest um, over the coming years. Yeah, I will maintain my membership and um, attend the AGMs and be a, a fond follower. Well, I want to get into the, the last five years, but not everyone will be familiar with the, the with AEF or indeed its precursor, the the Moreland Energy Foundation, which is uh, was pretty uh, legendary in its own right in in Melbourne sustainability circle. So, perhaps could you tell us a little bit about Moreland, its history, and and uh, what its status was uh, when when you took over around five years ago? Yeah, so if we think back to the late nineties, when there was. Um a lot of privatisation going on in Victoria. Mm. Uh, the electricity sector was privatised. I'm sure we all remember that beautiful building, the SEC in Flinders Street. Um, and it was really interesting back in that time because some of the local councils owned their own assets, like a substation or a mini grid. Mm. At the time of privatisation, was also the same time as the council amalgamations where they went from 230-odd councils down to about 76 in Victoria which was the birth of Moreland City Council, which was an amalgamation of quite a few in, in the sort of Green North Corridor. So Moreland Council had to sell off their um, substation, which is in Brunswick Road still uh, to the day. And with some of that sale of that asset, the council decided to um, invest into setting up a not-for-profit that could tackle climate change. Uh, so that was back in 2000. So it's pretty innovative thinking back from mm. council then. The first mayor of Moreland was a gentleman called Mike Hill. You know, he was also being pivotal in a number of other organisations across across the country with the VLGA, um, setting up Sustainability Victoria and a range of other different initiatives. But it was that vision from the local community and democracy of wanting to invest back into setting up a community-based organisation that would really tackle climate change in the local community. So that's how Moreland Energy Foundation started. There's been a natural, very strong relationship with Moreland City Council throughout that period of time, throughout the 20 years, with a whole different range of um, 
funding agreements, uh, but also delivery on the ground in Moreland. So it's it's come from the birth of privatisation uh, and then an innovative council looking at how do we continue on and, and look at energy in a very different way 20 years ago. Back in the day, back in 2000, when, when Moreland Energy Foundation was founded, uh, how common was that? In councils around the country, was it was it the first, or was it the you know was there were there other examples of that sort of institution being being founded by local government? Yeah, and no, I think it was certainly the first, and it's remained quite unique. You know, we've had mm. other councils look at initiatives like Yarra has got Yarra Energy Foundation, um, but certainly it was a very unique model. And council, you know, had a, a big stake in sort of setting up the organisation. I leave as the fourth CEO in twenty years, so mm. you know, it's it hasn't had a lot of CEOs throughout that period. Of time we've all done our our time maybe it's been a bit of a different split over the tenure but our councils you know maintain roles on our board and, and oversight for a number of years we've changed a little bit of that over the last few years but um, no it was a very unique model and it's worked very successfully in delivering and connecting with that local community which is what you know METHL our fond name of, of ourselves back then always stood for was driving action and empowering communities. So um, for, for those listeners um, around, around Australia and, and for those listeners um, overseas that aren't familiar with the organisation, what would you describe as like the the trademark bread and butter sort of engagement program that uh, you know you look at that and say, oh, well, that's that's classic Meffel. Yeah, it is really about empowering households to shift to an all-electric home. So if I think about that, it's working through councils or working through businesses to enable people to, you know, get their homes ready for that transition. And that could start with some really simple things around energy education, uh, about you know, helping you understand your energy bill. It could then transition to getting solar on your roof or batteries. And as we found now, some people are looking at how do you get electric vehicle and think about the concept of a mobile battery. So, you know, that transition of household by household, street by street, looking at how the role of community energy can help people in a street um, connect and share. So really those innovative models of, of on-the-ground pilot demonstration and then coming, in, you know, coming up with the models to scale up. That's what we've been known for. Important to uh, point out is that um, uh, I think when you took over, it's, I'm right in saying that uh, Moreland Energy Foundation had evolved a lot from just working with the local Moreland community, but was in fact working with with councils right around Melbourne um, to support their sort of engagement with their own local communities um, on these topics, right? Yeah, it was certainly been doing a lot of collaboration with Darabin, uh, particularly around setting up their solar savers program, which is a really innovative model where. Uh, residents were able to, you know, pay off their solar through their rates over a 10-year period. So that was a very creative business model. Again, a really deep collaboration between council and community groups. So, yes, when I when I joined in 2016, um, METHIL was operating right across Victoria with a whole range of different local governments. All right, so uh, into Alison Rowe in, in, in 2016, um, not one to rest on your laurels or just to sort of uh, stay in in, uh, in gear three. Um, it's obviously, there's been a, a huge transformation at, at uh, what was then known as... Uh, as Meffel um, over the subsequent period of time, uh, a rebrand and um, and taking the organisation national. Uh, what, what motivated that? Yeah, I think certainly when I joined, there was a desire to diversify our sort of um, income, but more importantly, it was to deliver more impact. So, so first of all, I think you know I was very fortunate in my first year, Luke, that we were able to secure two very large projects to deliver. 
which enabled us to scale up. So one of those was the Energy Smart Project through DHHS in Victoria, where we retrofitted 1,500 low-income social housing properties. And the other was the Healthy Homes Project through Sustainability Victoria. And so the nature of those two very large-scale energy efficiency retrofit programs enabled us to really scale up in a very different way. At the same time in my first year, we um, formed a partnership with South Sydney Regional Councils, which is 11 councils up in Sydney, who had their own program called Our Energy Future. And um, we were able to provide services to those councils. So that grew our footprint in New South Wales. So that was a pretty big first year. But really what that was was about diversification, um, really connecting to what we wanted to do and, and really focusing, again, back on energy efficiency. I think we'd lost a little bit of our focus on energy efficiency for a while. So the next big thing after sort of, you know, getting getting into the capability we needed to deliver those programs was to look at our strategic plan. So our strategic plan, there was two major things we changed. One was was, was focused just on Moreland and we really wanted to represent who we, who we are and who we wanted to be in the future and that was to, you know, change the scope to a national strategic plan. And the second was to bring energy efficiency back into that as a core part of what we wanted to achieve as a goal um, alongside renewables. So, you know, getting that balance back into our strategic plan was really, really important. Then we went about a process of looking, well, we've now got a strategy national. Does that fit with our name? And we went through quite a big process and people might say, you just changed one word. But really, it was really important for us to say very connected to energy. We, We wanted to keep energy in our name. We wanted to keep foundation to represent us being a for-purpose organisation, um, but we wanted to have a national approach. So for that change of name required quite a quite a quite a process. It was a constitutional change, um, but it was also you know a branding change. And um, we we developed three brand personas through that about what we want to be known for in the future, and that was bright, inspiring, and inclusive. And that's really guided us through our new brand, and we've been in our new name for about a year and a half now. We retired another brand that we had, which was called Positive Charge. Um, so it's been a massive, massive journey for us. But fortunately today we're working in Queensland, New South Wales, ACT, uh, Victoria and Tasmania. So we're definitely getting to that ambition of becoming a national energy foundation. Yeah, that's, um, it's incredibly impressive. And, and uh, I suppose I've always, always been very interested and followed closely the... Uh, the journey of of Meffel and, and, and lately AEF because there's something intuitively appealing about the idea of programs that are focused on the local level, working with local government, the arm of government which is closest to the community and understands the, the unique, I guess, needs of that community um, as we work through this transition. So that's, that's one piece of it. But by the same token, um, it would be incredibly inefficient for every council around the country to set up a Meffel. <laughs> So, you know, that journey of, you know, of, of, uh, of Meffel kind of extending its impact across Victoria, but then while going, you know, well, you know, that's a fairly arbitrary border. And, you know, if there's something here that we can offer more broadly and, and across the country, then that's something um, that we should at least run the ruler over. Um, it always made a bit of sense to me, Alison. But it, it's one thing to think that, and I'm, you know, to have it up on a, a whiteboard in a, a board strategy session. It's an entirely other thing to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I 
I think you know, part of that loop was about us not being precious about having to be AEF out the front. That's not mm. what we're about. Yeah. We're about enabling the model to drive the most impact. So, um, yeah, it should be driven through your local government. There's this wonderful combination of trust that local government and a for-purpose organisation bring when they work together with their community. Mm. Um, so, you know, Luke, I'm sure... Um, there's many things about, you know, getting a, a parking fine or, or your bins issues that you might have with your local council, but there's a deep trust for the community with the council that they follow a proper process and it's rigorous and their procurement is trusted. So um, with that and the combination of a for-purpose, not-for-profit organisation, it's that balance that creates trust within the community to enable, you know, to act, act change, and that's that's been fundamental through throughout throughout our journey. We don't need to set up a METHL everywhere or AEF everywhere. We work through the local council's program's name or, or, or whatever they're wanting to achieve, and, and it's really important that we see ourselves as the people who can affect the change, but we do that through others and we empower the community. And um, I'm interested, Alison, as you've expanded, I guess, the, the geographical reach across big cities like, like Melbourne and Sydney, but also into regional areas and, and into different s- states, are you noticing difference in characteristics or culture that you need to adapt to as you move into different different jurisdictions? What are the what are the big variables um, that uh, you need to be mindful of as you enter into into communities um, around the country? I think every community has got its own identity, and you need to do a lot of listening first before you go in and put your approach. So I would say. You know, it, it's really a very individual community base that you need to listen and, and understand what's going on. Um, so we certainly tailor our programs to that. We work with the local government. We work with community members to get our message and our language correct. Um, you know, it is really, really fundamental to, to enacting change. So, um, you know, the conversations we've had with New South Council are really different than the ones we would have with um, a regional council in Victoria or, mm. or New South Wales. So it is about working with the partners and with the community to get the right language and to get the right messages across and to understand what's important. So as a good example, there's a lot of um, people in Sydney really interested in pool pump controllers as an energy efficiency item, and that's that's really, really important for Sydney. There's a massive amount of swimming pools in New South Wales, but that's not something we often get asked about when we're working in ACT. There's a lot of renters in ACT, so there's a lot of transient workforce there. So, again, we're doing some different types of programs targeted at renters in ACT with the government there. So really being adaptable to language and understanding what resonates with the local community at that time and noting that that might change over a period of time um, is fundamental to sort of working with not you know, at the community. And that's that's the difference that we, we really take a lot of pride in. And I suppose almost having a, a, a bit of a menu of, of technologies and interventions that you can employ in, in different environments than working with the, the local government to say, well, what, what's relevant at the point the community is at at the moment, you know, in the particular climactic zone and, you know, the particular sort of social makeup um, on the yeah. ground. Um, all yeah. the, I imagine all those things you're taking into account. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, it's it's about when, you, when you're running a particular campaign, think about what time it is. So, you know, we, we run a campaign sort of around March, April to get ready for winter. Mm. Um, or, you know, really it's, it's, the, it's the diary of the calendar of events. It's the language in the community. You know, I, I really had a wonderful opportunity a couple of years ago to do a roadshow up northeast Victoria and, you know, have a conversation with regional towns. 
um, there's a real strong desire to own the energy within that community and Indigo Power has been a great example of mm. coming out of that roadshow and working closely with them. But, you know, there's a desire on the ground for people to have control over their energy and, and you know, have sufficiency. And I think we've seen even more that since the bushfires is around this concept of resilience and how do we protect towns when they are shut off and what can we do around that. So, um, yeah, local ownership is critical and it doesn't need anyone to come and tell a community how to do that. You have to work with them and through the community. First Fuel is brought to you by the Energy Efficiency Council, a not-for-profit membership association for businesses, universities, governments and NGOs. The Council's mission is to unlock the potential of energy efficiency to deliver healthy, comfortable buildings, productive, competitive businesses and an affordable, reliable and sustainable energy system for Australia. To find out how your organisation can get involved, visit eec.org.au forward slash membership. You know, obviously the argy-bargy around climate and energy policy has continued during your tenure. It didn't start during your tenure. It's been going for a while now. But has it been much of a hindrance or is the fact that you're largely working at the local level actually just allowed you to to get on with it? Yeah, I think it's still a challenge for Australia as a nation and our identity that we haven't got a vision, we don't have a policy, we can't stand up proud on the international stage. So for me, you know, thinking that that's, that's probably where we were five years ago, we're still there in some of those aspects. Um, but, you know, we do work, we work locally and we work with state governments across across Australia. Uh, and we are doing some work with federal government, you know, around some designing of some programs. But I think what I've noticed over the last five years is there's been just this massive upswell of community taking action. If we look at the explosion of solar on rooftops, on homes, that's been phenomenal. And that's happened with some state government rebates. It's happened with some incentives from local government. So there is this combination of things that are driving leadership in the vacuum of policy, um, which which is great to see. I think, Luke, something close to your heart, I think we've almost got there that energy efficiency is sexy. I'm not going to say it's fully out there, but I do think energy efficiency has reclaimed its place equal alongside renewables, and that's absolutely amazing to see the interest in hot water heat pumps, reverse cycle air conditioners, uh, you know, really sophisticated appliances within the home, that whole transition to this all-electric home I think we're there, right, and the community mm. demanding that, and that's absolutely amazing. So that, for me, that's what I've seen is some really big trends that we've we've taken control at a very local level. People are engaged. There is a desire, um, despite the policy not settings not being there. I think our next challenge as a nation is to have a vision of leadership that we can stand on the stage and be proud of what we've achieved. We've got the absolute opportunity to do that. Uh, and I hope that's that's sort of the next evolution of energy and, and what we do in the future. Yeah, it's a it's a interesting dynamic, isn't it? Because um, I think we, we'd all choose that sort of leadership position, um, you know, if if we uh, if we had the opportunity. By the same token, I, I think that there's been a there's been an element of you know the activity at the local level, which has actually been driven by frustration that yeah. we don't have that leadership position. So I don't know that it, it completely makes up 
for for the lack of those policy set and settings and the lack of that that clear direction. But it certainly ameliorates um, it a little bit. It means that the forward momentum, whether it's at the local government, uh, the community, or indeed the state level, um, uh, you know, nature abhors a vacuum, Alison. And, yeah. and you know, there's been a little bit of a vacuum of policy over the over the last number of years, and it has been filled to some degree by some of those um, subnational governments and, and players. Yeah, and if you look at the ACT, Victoria, New South Wales, mm. South Australia, they might be all tackling it in a different way, but the end outcome is what they're all working towards, so I've been thrilled to see that. But I know, Luke, you and I would both want to stand on an international stage and stand up there and be saying we're, we're a leading nation and we're regarded like that by our, our neighbours and by our other countries. So I think that's where we all want to get to. Uh, I think we've got the push there from the market and from each people, but we do need to go to that next step and get some policy reform and seize those market opportunities to make Australia the absolute superpowerhouse in sustainability that you know, we could be. That's my my hope that you and I in a couple of years, we're there and wherever it may be, Luke, perhaps it's Germany, and we're, we're equal partners in, in what we're doing. We're, we've, we're looked at that by our peers and people are, wanting to learn from us. So that's what I hope for the future. Yeah, it's a um, something to look forward to and uh, keep working towards, Alison. Yeah. Okay, so we've, we've sort of covered the journey that uh, uh, Moreland and then the Australian Energy Foundation has been on. If we're looking more broadly on the um, on kind of the topics that you've concerned yourself with as, as CEO of AEF over the last five years or so, where, where do you think we've made some really significant progress? Are there one or two things you'd call out and say, well, you know, we can be proud that we've uh, we started here and we've landed there, and you know, we, we've actually we've actually made a dent in a, a big issue that that we were left with back in uh, 2016. Yeah, I think um, one of those is the amount of homes that we've been able to retrofit to change people's lives of people who are really suffering energy insecurity. Mm. So I, I, I use energy insecurity rather than vulnerable people because um, I, I particularly don't like that term. Um, but, yeah, people across um, Victoria, I mean, the programs that we've delivered there at large scale, you know, and we've, we're talking over 2,500 homes that we have you know, fully retrofitted, um, yeah, that that is one of the legacies that we can leave is changing people's lives. You know, I've we've been there in people's homes where... They've got all the blinds down, the lights are off, the fridge is unplugged. Um, the only way that they've got food is heating up a can in the microwave because they can't afford to pay their energy bill. We've seen people living in conditions like that. So noting that I can leave, knowing we've changed some people's lives is, is really, really important for me. I hope that the work from both of those large programs can influence something at a national scale mm. to really um, change and transform all of those people who are suffering energy insecurity. We definitely need a natural, you know, national retrofit program to, to really upskill housing, um, and that's, that's something I hope for the future. So one is we've really changed people's lives. Um, the other is that I really feel proud, Luke, to build a capable team at AEF. Hmm. Um, I'm really proud of the team that's there. I feel that I can leave and it's in safe hands and that they're going to go on and do more and more wonderful work really making Australia um, more sustainable for families, which is important. Mm, yeah, here, here, and it's an incredible team, and uh, you know, I like you will be watching their progress. Um, on that, on that point of uh, the the opportunity 
state and national governments often, you know, we think about partnerships in those terms, but you can also think about the opportunity for national governments with a you know agenda around energy efficiency, um, renewables, and the like to partner directly with communities and directly with local governments. Um, uh, do you want to just talk a little bit about some of the thinking you've done in that space? Yeah, look, I definitely think there's an opportunity for um, you know a, an approach which could really help. Um, Reduce emissions, save save homes, uh, households money in terms of their bill savings. Yeah. Create an market where they can have um, an investment in buying energy efficiency products, which then creates jobs. So I think there's a there's a way you can design a program to meet all of those objectives. Um, but it does start with around energy information. So people actually need to know what they can do, what's, um, what's going on in their bill. And w- what we've found over many, many years is that people need to have a conversation around that. So, so starting with some education and some information and providing a whole range of um, options for people to finance or to get, get in touch with a rebate, whether it be a national or a local rebate, um, to enable them to transition to the all-electric home is what I think is a massive opportunity. It should be targeted at people who need it most, um, so there is a way that you could roll those programs out at scale. But, you know, the supply network we have in Australia in terms of um, being able to get to every home is, is pretty good. And we, we could deliver that through local government the similar way that we've been delivering these programs with support and integration to the state and the federal tools that are all there that they've developed. Bring all that together, I think we could absolutely change a lot of homes in Australia over a really um, you know, small quite of time and transition that to be great for our economy, great for jobs uh, and reduce emissions and save households money. And I think there's an absolute business model ready and waiting for that. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly um, on this podcast, we've uh, we've had a few conversations uh, over the last year or so uh, about the uh, the vision in Europe around the renovation wave, um, which is something which really is really being embraced over there, and and obviously um, in in the US, uh, the uh, the role of uh, weatherization, as they call it over there, as part of the uh, the Biden administration's um, economic recovery agenda, and I suppose that's the other element in all of this. Um, Alison, is that the kind of uh, program that you uh, that you describe would create a hell of a lot of jobs at a time that we really need them um, in yeah. Australia, as well as having that longer term legacy of just you know a better quality uh, building stock that you know means people are warm in winter, cool in summer, and um, aren't suffering the deleterious health impacts of living in crappy housing. That's right, and. Um you know, then even looking at the manufacturing of those products in Australia and creating creating that market as well. So there's there could be a massive stimulus, which um, I think people want to upgrade their home their own way. I don't think they want to be told how to do it. Um, but by bringing all of those incentives together at a local, um, national uh, and state-based way, integrating that with EUAs and all those other mechanisms, uh, I think there's a massive opportunity for us to transform every home in Australia. All right. Well, uh, that's that's a big one uh, to leave us with, but is there anything else on the on the to-do list for those of us that are kind of continuing to think about, the, you know, energy efficiency and energy transition um, uh, day-to-day? Yeah, I think for me the big one, you know, is the role of EVs, right, the electric yeah. vehicles. I think South Australia is doing some great work around the concept of a mobile battery and it'll be really interesting to see what, what role batteries play over the next couple of years. And, and, you know, it's great to see the community battery um, being set up in New South Wales last week. Um, that was fantastic with Osgrid. 
So how do we look at batteries and their role in the future over the next couple of years is going to be really interesting, I think. So, you know, I can imagine there'll be more community batteries. Not every household needs their own battery. Mm. Uh, and then really the sophistication around bringing, digitising uh, homes and using the um, battery in the, in the electric vehicle as a mobile battery and selling and, and powering your house that way. So I think there's amazing opportunities to bring technology together. Um, with what we're seeing in terms of energy and energy efficiency in this all-electric home. That's an exciting vision. And as you say, the technology is moving so quickly um, and it's but it's coming to the market the exact time that we need it to balance out the variable renewables and give us that stability yeah. uh, in, in the system. And hopefully uh, doing all that while delivering a really good service for consumers. Yeah. We've got a little bit of work, I, I think, to do that piece you talked about earlier, the education piece. People like you and I that walk out about this stuff uh, get very excited. I'm not sure. <laughs> the average person rolling down uh, Sydney Road there in uh, Brunswick uh, necessarily completely has a head around it, notwithstanding all your all your good work, Alison, to uh, support the community. But it starts to get it starts to get fairly technical. I suppose it's about um, packaging it up as a business model that allows people to engage without necessarily giving their lives over to understanding all the ins and outs of uh, how every appliance in the house functions and turning it on and off and um, and basically we want to make it as easy as possible for people to engage in this brave new world, right? Yeah, and I think it comes back to that point about having a vision for Australia. Mm. So, you know, we could be leading in this space around all electric homes. We could be the showcase. Um, you know, we've got the opportunity to do that. I'd love to see us be known for something like that, you know. Um, I think we can do it. But we need a vision and a story for people to say, I want my home to feel and look like that. And we know that there's multiple benefits in terms of cost savings, but as you mentioned, health and mental health, you know, having a proud, being proud about your home and inviting people over. Mm. You don't do that in an uncomfortable, cold, drafty home. Um, You know, getting back to that connection to our place, which is so Australian, which is our home. All right. Well, uh, well, you've given us a good to-do list to be getting on with, but uh, what are you going to be doing with your time moving forward? Uh, are you relaxing on the banana lounge, Ellison, or have you got uh, got an, another uh, organisation to transform in your sites? Yeah, Luke, look, I'm, I'm really thrilled that whilst I'm leaving the energy sector, um, which I've absolutely loved being part of in the last five years, I am staying true to climate change. So I'm joining um, as the Managing Director for Australia, the Nature Conservancy, um, which is a massive organisation doing fabulous work. Uh, So I get to join there mid-March with the wonderful team there. I'm going to really enjoy learning from scientists uh, about climate change. There's some massive work and thrilling work that we're doing around Australia in terms of our restoring the reefs. Uh, working on country with the Indigenous um, owners of our land, which I'm very connected to, uh, and really working in some different ways to affect change, um, but in terms of, you know, conservation and climate change. So absolutely thrilled to be joining that organisation. Um, won't be too far away. I think it's just three kilometres from home is the office. And, um, yeah, I can't wait to start there, but um, I'll still be very connected, as I said, to AEF and um, maintain my membership and, turn up at the AGM and vote on all the great work that they're doing. So, yeah. Uh, good work. Well, um, look, you know, delighted that you're staying in the, in the broader sector. And um, I suppose uh, for our part at the Energy Efficiency Council, we really, the, the partnership with the Australian Energy Foundation and, and not-for-profit partner of the, of the council and um, are really important in terms of informing our thinking about how you drive that change on the ground and on a personal level it's been great working with you over the last five years and um, 
we wish you uh, all the very best um, at the Nature Conservancy and uh, look forward to seeing you around the traps, Alison. Thanks, Luke. It's been a wonderful partnership and um, I'm so glad that you've got energy efficiency being sexy. I know it was a <laughs> key milestone for you. So I reckon you're there. I reckon we're there. Just keep saying it, Alison. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that wraps up this episode of First Fuel. If you have comments, uh, you can, as always, find us on Twitter. Alison is at AllisonRowAU and my handle is at Luke Menzel. To keep up to date on the latest in energy efficiency, energy management and demand response, you can follow the Energy Efficiency Council at EE Council. If Twitter is not your thing, you can email the team. The address is firstfuel.ec.org.au and make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to First Fuel in your podcast app of choice. To learn more about the show, including upcoming live recordings, visit eec.org.au forward slash podcasts. But for now, it's a goodbye from us and we'll catch you soon.